few years ago, I was spending some time with the homeless at the homeless shelter. And I remember there was one guy in particular that came up to me, and he was full of personality. He was really excited to see a priest, and he wanted to tell me all kinds of stories. And somewhere along the lines in our conversation, he turned to me and said, you know, Father, it's rough out there. I said, oh yeah, I can only imagine. He said, but it's all right. They don't mess with me. I said, all right, okay. He said, you know why, Father? Why is that? He said, because whenever they try to mess with me, I say, uh-uh, don't mess with me. I'm going to light a candle on you at the Carmelite. So um, I don't know if he quite understood the purpose of the Carmelite Monastery. <laughs> it's not actually about cursing people. <laughs> but I do think all of us, and him included, we do realize that there's something about uh, holy people praying for us. And we do know that it's powerful. We know the power of intercessory prayer. Especially if you have had the experience where you've gone through a tough time and maybe you've reached out to someone to pray for you. And maybe in that, you know, that time you sought out particular people to pray for you because you knew that those people's prayers really meant a lot. And maybe you've even been fortunate enough to receive a grace from the Lord, maybe even a miracle due to the prayers of someone else's intercession. It happens all the time, and from my perspective, with what I do for a living, I get to see it all the time, and it's such a beautiful gift. Today, we have a wonderful story in our first reading with Moses acting as intercessor. What's really cool about the story, though, is that even more so than the obvious that he's being the intercessor, um, there's... It's, it's a wonderful example of how we see something called typology. And that's a big fancy word uh, that basically explains that there's something that happens in the Old Testament that points towards something that happens in the New Testament. And in the case of today's story, it's just one parallel after another that makes it just so clear and obvious once we start to see it. And so it's a really beautiful way that we can discover Jesus in the story of Moses. So what I'd like to do today is unpack that a little bit for you to uh, bring to light some of those parallels, and uh, then we can talk about what it means for us today. So first, we just have to get the story straight, just in case we were daydreaming or we, you know, we, just, we weren't quite keeping up with the story. What happens in the Old Testament here is that Moses is uh, praying on top of a mountain while the Israelites are in a battle against the Amalekites. And Joshua is leading this battle. And Moses has his arms outstretched. And as he grows weary, because, you know, it only takes a little bit of while before your arms get tired, um, as his arms go down, the Israelites don't do so well in the battle. So Aaron and Hur get on his right and his left, and he, they help support his arms so that they can remain outstretched. And insofar as they're outstretched, the Israelites do well in the battle, and eventually they become victorious. So first of all, we got to talk about the Amalekites. Who are the Amalekites? Well, you know, you might have heard the story about how the Israelites 
were uh, set free from the from Egypt. And the whole promise that they were given was that they would be given a land, the promised land. And if you look at a map uh, of, of, you know, Middle East and the Holy Land, um, you'll notice that Egypt is not that far from Jerusalem. It should not have taken them 40 years. So what happened? Well, on their way, they encountered the Amalekites who prevented them from entering the promised land. And so the Amalekites are kind of the symbol of, of evil, the symbol of those that go against or prevent God's will from happening. Hence the battle that the Israelites are facing. What's really interesting is that Joshua is often pronounced Yeshua, which might sound familiar to you. It's the same name as Jesus. But Jesus, we say, it's kind of a Greek version in which we pronounce the name of Joshua. And so what we have now is the name of Jesus is leading the battle of the Israelites against the Amalekites. Um, we have Moses' arms outstretched like so, which reminds us of Jesus' arms outstretched on the cross. And as Moses' arms were outstretched, the Israelites succeeded, just as Jesus' arms are outstretched, conquering the spiritual battle against Satan. There's a few more, though. This happens on a hill. Moses is on a hill. Well, Jesus dies on the hill of Calvary. There's a man on the right and the left, Aaron and Hur, supporting the arms of Moses. And Jesus dies on a hill with a man on his right and a man on his left, the good thief and the bad thief. The battle happens in the evening. And Jesus dies at 3 p.m., which, you know, doesn't seem like the evening to us, but that would have been the time of the evening sacrifice for the Jews during the first century. And also, we know that as Jesus dies, there's an eclipse. The whole world goes black, or at least, you know, the Holy Land goes black because there is an eclipse of the sun. And so there's all these parallels, and ultimately what's happening is that Moses acts as intercessor for the Israelites as they fight a battle, just as Jesus acts for intercessor, acts as intercessor for all of humanity as we fight our spiritual battles. But most importantly, the battle against the enemy that he already conquered on the cross. Beautiful story of Jesus being a new Moses, or we could say that Moses was pointing towards Jesus who would soon conquer the enemy on the cross. So I want you to think for a moment now um, about the battles in your life. We all have different battles we face, some personally, some professionally, maybe at school, maybe emotionally, maybe a physical illness. Of course, we're all facing the spiritual battle. Because the enemy never, ever gives up. And right now, even right now, he's trying to destroy you. His number one favorite tactic and usually most successful tactic is just to convince you that he doesn't exist. And so he's going to tempt you with sin. 
tempt you to turn your life away from the Lord. You might have recognized how he's been victorious in your own life in a number of ways. But for those of us who have recognized the enemy for who he is and who have tried to live for Jesus Christ, we recognize how hard it is. And so the enemy tries different tactics. He tries to distract us or fill us with anxiety or fill us with doubt. Maybe he even gives us uh, certain unfortunate circumstances in our lives. But the enemy cannot stand if we allow Jesus to stand as intercessor. It's our choice. So when you fight your battles, whatever those battles are, do you fight them alone or do you fight them with Jesus? When you fight your battles, does your faith increase or does it decrease? Does your prayer increase or lessen? Very often, whenever we face battles, we kind of take our lives into our own hands. We start to depend upon ourselves, upon our skills, our strengths, and our plan. And eventually, we find ourselves defeated and discouraged. Trying to figure out how we got to this place in our life where we're very far from the Lord. Or maybe some of you actually, I know many of you today are are very young. So maybe you haven't fought a battle yet that you've lost. And so you're, you're quite confident in yourself. You're quite confident in your own strength. And, and you got this. So you don't realize yet the power of the enemy over your life. You don't realize yet your need for Jesus Christ. But if you look around, or maybe if you're just simply honest with yourself, you realize just how desperate you are. Because the enemy is, in fact, stronger than us, which is why we need Jesus. When you fight your battles, do you fight them alone or do you fight them with Jesus? Every time we come to Mass, we are participating in that spiritual battle. Yes, it's true that Christ defeated Satan on the cross. And so in some sense, the battle's already won. But in another sense, the battle over our hearts It's not over yet. That is the battlefield between God and the enemy. But every time we come to this mass, we allow Jesus to stand as intercessor. And we allow him to fight those battles right there in our heart. Because we give Jesus, at least we have the opportunity to give Jesus our hearts. And to unite it with this sacrifice where Jesus intercedes for all of humanity to God the Father. Standing as that intercessor, that bridge between God and man. We abide in Jesus. We choose to have him as intercessor for our lives. So that none of us have to fight our battles alone. Although, unfortunately, too often we choose to do so. We're also very excited this afternoon, earlier today, we had the chance to break ground uh, or have the groundbreaking ceremony for our Adoration Chapel, which is another way in which we fight those battles with the Lord. How awesome it's going to be uh, soon where we're going to be able to, um, at any time during the week, be able to visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament and to 
gaze upon him face to face as he stands as intercessor for our lives. Whatever we're facing, emotional distress, physical illness, difficulty in relationships, uncertainty about our future, financial concerns, whatever it is that we're facing, we're able to bring it to the Lord and ultimately ask him to make us holy, to make us his, to protect us from the snares, the distraction, and the destruction of the enemy in our life. Today, we recognize Jesus as intercessor at the Mass, in adoration, and at every single moment that we cry out to Him. Today, we recommit to prayer because it's prayer that sustains the church, because it's Calvary from which grace flows. Today, we recognize all this and we choose to be people who don't fight our battles alone, but instead to fight with the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.